0: Yes, I know. He picked a woman. He said he was going to pick a woman, and he picked a woman. So, I, but no, I I don't know what good it's going to do, but he, I have hope. Oh, hi. It's Pete Pomisano, and here we are on RLTP's Off-Road, another podcast. I know we just had a bonus podcast, but now this is the regularly scheduled podcast. And this one features... Someone that everybody loves. I don't know anybody who doesn't love Mary Kate O'Connell. I've worked with her several times. I love the woman. Everybody loves the woman. And she has a company called O'Connell and Company that are performing out there on Elmwood Avenue. And I talked to her about what her plans are for the upcoming season, if there is a season. And I also talked to a very lovely lady, Shirley Verico from the Buffalo Arts Studio. Now, I know you don't know what the Buffalo Arts Studio is, but the fact is, like so many of the other people that I have interviewed, I found this lady fascinating. I'm sorry to keep using that word, I know it's rubbing you the wrong way, but it's fascinating what the Buffalo Arts Studio does. And I think you will be really impressed by both Shirley Verico and what she says about the Buffalo Arts Studio. So we're going to start it off with Mary Kate O'Connell, who I, I've known for so many years and is, I don't want to say a diva, because that's, that's almost trivial when you talk about Mary Kate O'Connell. She is such an important figure in Buffalo theater. And if you know her at all, you love her. She is one of the good ones. She's one that everybody wants to work for. And Mary Kate O'Connell formed O'Connell & Company a while back. And, well, I'll, I'll let her tell you about it. And I will also talk to Shirley Verico. So, oh, don't forget, we also have a mystery guest. Another message from the bunker. See if you can guess who it is. I think this is a tough one. I think this is a tough one. So pay attention and see what you think. This is Mary Kate O'Connell from O'Connell & Company here on RLTP's Off-Road. All right, we got to get back to business. All right, so, so first of all, did you have to shut down any shows? I know you were in the middle of heading toward you know lucky stiff and steel magnolias but were you in the middle of something like other people were
1: we had just closed um glorious Mm -hmm. and um we couldn't open after that we'd started rehearsals for lucky stiff Mm -hmm. and um because everyone everyone in the community was sort of hedging you know what are we going to do and and you know a lot of people didn't cancel right away and um other people canceled you know their next four productions right away
0: right away yeah
1: yeah because you have to know you know your audience too and we have a a large amount of seniors and people who are skittish about going out especially during this dreadful time sure and uh so i've tried to keep in touch with our volunteers by calling them and and all of that but they miss being there but they're terrified to be there. Yeah. So we canceled uh we didn't cancel anything. We but what we were getting into that was uh March and we were getting into our 25th anniversary, anniversary season yeah. celebrations. So we had a big fundraiser we had to cancel. We had a big drive that we canceled in and, and Diva is 20 years old. And so we had to cancel the big diva show that we were having with oh, everyone, everyone in it, it was like diva, a go-go. And, um, and we, so I've been having since then, and ironically enough, I probably will still do it, but as celebrating our 20th anniversary of diva, I'm going to do a podcast with divas oh, cool. you know, who have been with us. And cause we've had everyone, as you know, every single person in your, contact book we have yes. and we also had like joanne faletta we mm-hmm. it's kind of we had a lot of people that were really they did it kind of thing <laughs> but um so we'll probably pick that up at some point but i have been doing um some online some zoom uh performances of diva we did one on our birthday in march and so i was no music except and and mosner sang and played accompanied herself but it was it was still very entertaining because a lot of quotes, a lot of jokes, mm-hmm. a lot of stories, and a lot of a cappella singing, which is terrible.
0: Let me ask you a question though. How come I don't know anything about that? How come I didn't see anything? Was it was it was it on Facebook? It was on uh, Facebook announced and so on? Because I don't remember seeing any. I, and I've attended several yeah. Zoom things, a yeah. couple of them from uh, Randy and a couple of them from Roadless and yeah. Uh, but I didn't see the I didn't see that one. I would have.
1: Yeah, we're probably going to do another one, probably at the beginning of August. Mm-hmm. But it, what it was, it's just it's just it was celebrating the anniversary, and I had a lot of the people that were orig- in the original cast. Yeah, come back for and it was great.
0: So you were rehearsing Lucky Stiff because, as you know, I was in a show, and we were thinking maybe we'll come back in two weeks. Right, that's
2: what we thought too.
0: And then then we even thought maybe we'll come back in July. It was at the cab, and they had left the entire setup. And so there was all everything was a maybe, maybe this, maybe that. Yeah. And then, uh, and then Scott said, uh, "We're we're canceling the whole rest of the season and next year." And I thought, "Whoa!" And this was, I think, in May or early or even late a- April.
1: He really spearheaded that. He, Scott, I really think he makes amazingly good decisions. And I was watching him, and I thought, "Yep, that's what <laughs> to do."
0: yeah yeah and and there and, and a lot of people are. of course every person i've spoken to from a theater company such as yourself has a different take on what the future might be and and, and we'll get into that in a second but let me just ask you so when it, when you did shut down do you, do you have anybody who's on a payroll there was there anybody you had to let go or or, fure- no. or- because no, you're mostly no. volunteers, right? It's,
1: we're, we're really, uh, yeah, we're propelled by volunteers. I'm the only person who gets paid, but it's a stipend. It's not, I'm not sure. even an employee.
0: Yeah. And then so, but you did say you kept in touch with all your volunteers. Because, of course, right. as you said, they, they just missed being there
1: they miss the contact you know yeah. and you know they're now that we have popcorn at our theater they're going and we won't have popcorn anymore <laughs> And I went, oh my gosh that's like so um that's exactly what i think i think we are not going to have any wine or popcorn really what's the purpose of doing <laughs>
0: But uh, um, well that's just goes to show you that well years ago when you first started this company and you said to me i just want to have people who i like being around and yeah. who are fun and and uh, th- now you've created this thing where everybody just wants to be there yeah I, thanks <laughs> i hope so because everybody just wants to know, be there and eat the popcorn and drink the wine and talk and have right, fun
1: right so we you know that you and i have been in theater more than we been alive, probably. Care to mention? Yeah. But I—that's the whole thing. When I got to this stage, in the past, you know, really 25 years, I just wanted to have people that I liked
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that were likable, and that uh were, you know, truthers, and <laughs> you know, they're just really people that you could depend on to do a good job and to be there when they need to be there and to help out if you ask them for an extra special help with something. Mm-hmm. So. And through the grace of God, I really have attained most of that. Yes. So I, I feel like I've accomplished a community mm-hmm. at the theater.
0: So now the theater, of course, is dark. Uh, do you, because you're in that public building, the Kenton uh, Elmwood uh, uh, Commons, yeah. the commons uh, because you're in that sort of public building... Is it being maintained by the the, the, the governmental offices there? You, you don't have to go in there or do anything. You don't have to pay any maintenance or 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 just go in and check the see if the roof is leaking. Correct.
1: Well, it's not it's not owned by the state or the town. It's owned okay. by a, a, a independent developer. Okay. And in that building, besides us, there is a, a non for profit on the second floor that's it fights the Tanawanda Coke issues and us on the first floor and a daycare, the blue giraffe daycare. Are
0: there and, also uh, apartments there? Not yet. Not yet. Oh, okay. I thought yeah. I had heard something about that. It
1: is. It's, you know, it's, we would probably be breaking ground this month, <laughs> you know, for the, sure they would, they would anyway, but um, the, uh, and, and then there's the Turner tumblers, you know, the, oh, yeah you know,
0: the gymnastics
1: They're closed and the daycare is still open and the building is maintained by the developers we're still paying rent even when we're not there
0: of course yeah
1: and uh but we've gotten a wonderful um a a wonderful opportunity to keep our lights where they are because we rent our lights until we're going to do a rent to own thing so they 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 maintain the building Mm -hmm. um I had to go there a, a couple I was going to ask, can you
0: go there? Are you allowed in the building if you need yes, to be?
1: Yes, and uh, Joey Boohecker has been awesome about going over and doing some straightening up and organizing and tossing out things, because he has that confidence, and he's also working alone, and mm-hmm. I just really appreciate that. But, and you have uh,
0: offices there?
1: We have offices. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I haven't been there, but for a an interview with uh, my grandma a couple weeks ago. Yes, and i sat in the parking lot peter before i went in and i went okay you can do this you got got this you you and i did some wonderful thanks to alex uh i did some great meditating and deep breathing for probably every bit of 10 minutes Mm -hmm. and uh, then i went in and i'm masked up if i could wear two i would have them on and but you know, I, not everyone is like that. So they, I don't think they're necessarily wearing masks But the places, but the theater has been closed up since, you know, March, really February. So it's, it's not like it has to be, we have to be have the big disinfecting thing, but we have to wait to meet protocol. And I think that the, that the developers wonder why we're not there. And I, I, I'm sad that we're not there on every level, but caution is more important than my
0: emotional state. I'm just Well, do they understand what you do? <laughs> I know. I know. You, they can't, say, well, you can be there, but yeah. without people, what's yeah. the I, point? I said, well,
1: other theaters are open and you know the daycare is open. It's like I can't I no, can't they're... teach. I, can't, I cannot I cannot I cannot teach someone to uh, be vigilant, you, you, you can't. I mean, they're seeing their building and that they've invested a boatload of money into sure. and nothing's happening, Well, we're not gonna be the first ones. And actually, Peter, I had been working on with um, Kenton Chamber of, I was working on using, executive of the town gave me the use of their stage trailer when they do concerts in parks, okay. they bring this yes, trailer yes. in. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking of the first three Wednesdays in August doing a show.
0: Something outside.
1: Yep. And I was working with Joe Eminger there and a couple of the legislators there and the town and the chamber. And I got a call from the head of the chamber and she said, Mary Kate, people don't want to do this. It's, it's too scary. Hmm. And they don't want to because it's it's a, lo- a logistical nightmare when you put something out there and you say bring your own chairs. It's only gonna be 55 minutes long. There's no lavatory. There's no food. Right. That is then vend- and no vending. So I wanted to do this and I had it lined up that we were going to do a Betsy Carmichael, which would be very fun, but no interaction. Right and it really seemed great i knew that it was going to be a logistical thing chamber was going to take care of not it was it was for free totally free mm-hmm. and they just and and i was literally going to call this woman in an hour, an hour before she an hour after she already called me and she just said i just we don't feel good about it we don't feel safe to do it they're not doing anything in kenton and they're you know they're really really mindful and i was all good
0: about that sure the worst thing is if you if you had to try to convince somebody no no we have to we 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 can't do this and they're going well you can do it it's no problem nobody needs to wear a mask it's fine
1: oh yeah yeah Yeah. but just even people that we would have to bring in to sort of act as ushers or guards or Mm -hmm. you know
0: well i have to ask you now because you had a gigantic season planned (laughs) Yeah, oh oh my god, I mean, you they were all well. First of all, you know, I shouldn't even get to that first. I I did understand you, of course, you had to cancel all spring and summer theater school things and so on, right? Yes, yeah, you had to do those, but then next year you had Annie and Funny Girl and Camelot. You know, the Fantastic is smaller, but the rest of them were huge, I know, huge shows. Sure, and and before we get into what you're going to do about it, do, do you think your theater itself? Does it offer you any advantages because it is a large room? You can spread people around a lot. Uh, is there any advantage to being in that theater or or not?
1: I think every theater has their own challenges and their own breaking point where they can actually make money and still keep people safe and distanced and you know and and hopeful that we can continue this. But I don't know that our number because we we took out a hundred seats, so we're at. 200 seats Mm -hmm. but even at that point we only probably only do you know 75 60 75 percent on a regular basis but now Mm -hmm. when you have to uh, we haven't gotten the protocol yet from anyone we you know you hear rumblings about 50 percent six feet apart uh in the radius you know that whole thing and uh at this point we're going to have to have It's six feet apart, but you could put groups of of two or four, and maybe singles. So you have to put that variable in there too. You're not going to put more than four people next to each other because they're not quarantined together. Right. And unless they are, unless it's a family. Mm -hmm. So we will have to really take a look at that study the protocol when it is available to us and go in there and measure. Robert Brinschmidt from Chase has gone in all of his theaters. He's roped off at how many we can do, counted it off. And I, I, I think we're going to be shocked at how few people we can fit into that theater. And is it worth our money? And right. Right. is it something that we're going to have to rethink about you know, the price, we're still, we are still selling flex passes for whenever we open, which is just smart. Keep in, keep, you know,
0: keep your name up there.
1: Yeah. mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, it's big, but our, our shows were big, big, big shows purposely because we could, we could show people, we were showcasing people in this, our anniversary year that we have, we can make a big space with big shows feel intimate, and because the intimacy, the boutique feel, has always been sort of our, our, you know, our gig. You know. Oh yes,
0: it's been your calling card, is it?
1: Yeah, but uh, that Frankenstein went great. Then we did a very diva Christmas, which was huge. It's never been that big. We had dancers and and all sorts of things, and that went great. Then we did Glorious which was a ball and also great. And then we closed. After, this is our third, we did three shows in our new theater. Wow. That's it. And we were already trying to get people to know where we are. I did. I have to say that every time I ran into anyone who had any connection to Kenmore, they went to uh, the school. They, they went to Philip Sheridan School and, you know, my Randall, Every time he comes in, he goes. I feel so awful when I come in. I think I, you know, put up, did I put gum under that seat? Or <laughs> I said we scraped it off. Thanks, we did. But you know, I think that everybody has their own choice because if if you're a theater like Alleyway, which has a really flexible seating,
0: yes, they could rearrange seats. <laughs> Yours are are screwed into the floor. That's
1: exactly right.
0: Yeah. Uh, oh, I was also going to say that. Um, I talked to Lorraine the other day, and of course, the Cav holds two, 260 or something. And of the 260 s- seats, they could fit, I think it was 57 or 54. Where about that? Then you start to wonder, yeah. as you just said, what's the point? It, it, how can we afford to do this? And yeah. especially in your case, a gigantic, and they had gigantic musicals scheduled as well, but you exactly. know, it, it, that's a huge. Expense. So all right, so let's get into it. What are your plans? Are you just in a wait and see mode or aside from the you know the a couple of little zoom things? Do you have anything else that you have decided?
1: We have decided to wait until the protocol allows us to really do something mm-hmm. until we know where when it's being lifted and when we can be present. But in the meantime, we have put together, I don't even call it a plan B because it's just let plan A you know one because it's there. still we've also replaced the huge musicals that we were doing funny girl and annie putting them back to the next and fantastic so we're putting those to 21 21 22
0: 21 22 yeah
1: right right? yeah
0: that's right
1: and we're looking at opening with a one-person show and then doing another uh one-person show just bringing betsy in for a Betsy spooktacular bingo and mm-hmm. but just doing it with one person and we're just trying to figure out how to we're a big interactive theater company you know so to not to be able to
0: get up and like, get up close when personal to the audience right, right, sure right the Betsy Carmichael things especially
1: yeah yeah and uh and then we re- we thought rethought uh, Christmas and so it's not Annie at Christmas and and it's uh, it, we taking a look at a, a three person Christmas comedy, but here's the thing too, Peter, these are all things that were on my to-do list right? and on our collective, you know, mm-hmm. if we, if we can do, if, if we have a, another stage, because we also had, you know, our, our stage at Smith, which we've done for the past 10 years. Sure. And so I, you know, as far as figuring that out, we reached, I reached out to Mike, Michael Murphy, and said, I am concerned that you're going to have trouble getting people into the Smith. And I also was very concerned, and this isn't that I'm, you know, (laughs) Mother Teresa or anything. I said, you're the only space for a second gen.
0: Yes.
1: And we have two slots on the other half of the year. I would relinquish those. And he'd Said he was very grateful.
0: Oh, that's very nice. But who that
1: knows is. what's going to happen?
0: Yeah, I haven't spoken to them yet, so I don't know.
1: I don't either. I mean, they're very close to the to the vest with things because, you know, we all are in a way. But I love, I love when we can really collaborate, commiserate, yes, and plan. Those are things I really, really relish. I have a, a couple Zoom meetings that I have during the week. One is with just a bunch of the gals. So it's like, you know, Nancy Doherty and Tina Rousa and Darlene Humbert and me and <laughs> Josie DiVincenzo and uh, uh, Kyle. A
0: rogues gallery.
1: Yeah, it's that. And so we, <laughs> we just really, we're talking about everything from what, what coffee you're drinking now to what's going to happen? Because nobody knows. And no. Nancy had a, a lot of information this morning about what's happening with the Arties, but um, and then I have a, a every Wednesday at seven thirty, which is the traditional time for a diva show. We have a Zoom diva party.
0: Oh, that's fun! That's nice. We
1: get their wine, and everyone just comes in, drops in for a little, a little or a lot, and um, <laughs> we chat about everything. And uh, and just you know, I think we miss conversation. I mean, yes. I like Zoom. I have so many friends that have said, "Ugh, Zoom," but. I like it because I can see your face and I can hear your voice exactly. and there's really no replacement for the real thing, but this is pretty good. Yeah.
0: Well, let me make sure let me sort of summarize this before I let you go. So, you've got a couple of things that you might be doing in, in October with Betsy Carmichael or at Christmas time. Uh yeah. as far as the 2021 season, your your plan at this point is to push it to 2122. Yeah. All those same shows.
1: Most of them. We still might be able to, you know, fingers crossed, do Camelot because it's, okay. it's only it's only it's in the last but slot. It, but it's eight people. It's mm-hmm. the new London West End version. That getting a lot of play.
0: Is that the one you're going to do with all women?
1: Yep. All women.
0: Okay. So that one might still happen. That would be in April or May. I'm, I'm guessing.
1: Yeah. And I think we're looking at moving our, our, one of our shows from Smith Suds, which is a sixties mm-hmm. laundromat musical. Very fun. Yes. And we, we, and that's small enough too. So we've, we've looked at everything we have that has a cast of nine or under. I see. And as soon as we have an idea of what that is, but we still have kept them in. But the ones that we've moved to the next season, just to keep the integrity of the production, is a funny girl. We're not sure about Annie because we're still we're still uh, negotiating because there's a tour going out of it for Annie, and I I don't can't imagine that anyone is doing a tour. Oh, I mean, really? And right. So we were looking at that, and uh, we're doing to do the Fantastics. and we're going to open the season in 21 with funny girl
0: and what about the 25th anniversary sort of celebration is that you're going to put that sort of on hold it'll
1: be (laughs) (laughs) 25.1 so there will be parties
0: (laughs) okay there will be parties yes but listen i i think i've i think i've dragged you through the mud as much as i possibly can here and uh you know, uh, a... I appreciate you talking to me.
1: Thank you. You know,
0: you're always welcome to appear on the podcast. If you just, you know, you've got anything to say, just call me up and say, hey, I got to <laughs> tell you something.
1: But I think that, it, you know, to, totally in closing, I think that you are doing a great service being able to have keep the conversation going. And that's critical to all of us, to all of our mental health, to all of our creative health, to make sure that we're doing – what we love, we have to just do it in a more creative way. We're we're going to be kicking and screaming, but we're going to be <laughs> all better for it. I really do think. I mean, there's so many changes, and and I felt the closest I felt to people during this
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: because you know we're talking to each other. If we were in a at a restaurant or with a, at a party, we would talk but we some would come over yeah and they interrupt us mm-hmm. and say oh i need to ask you this and it's like <laughs> you know and and how many times have we left somewhere wherever you or i have been and other people and you you're driving home you think oh, i wish i would have talked to peter yeah. you <laughs> right. know, I mean,
0: i barely you know, had a chance yeah you were at the other end of the table
1: i know but i think we all have the chance to do something remarkable with this with this downtime, we all have that opportunity to do something remarkable.
0: I absolutely agree.
1: And, and extraordinary things that will even exceed our own expectations of us. Mm. You know, there's there's great creative stuff happening. There's energy out there. I just think we need to come back and you know the phoenix rising from the ashes. I don't think we're in the ashes. I think we're at a real recovery yes. time, and and we can create a better community
0: out of this this is the necessity that will be the mother of creativity yeah. rather than absolutely invention. i
1: agree with
0: you mary kate o'connell thank you so much for talking with me today i love talking to you Peter
1: Tomisano, i love you
0: and i love you too and you take care of yourself and i i'll be in, in touch again okay. whether you like it or not i like it <laughs> okay bye-bye So seriously, how can you not love Mary-Kate O'Connell? She's a doll, and she does really good work out there. So if you haven't seen O'Connell and the company, if you haven't seen one of her myriad diva shows, you don't know what you're missing. And now it's time for a message from the bunker, a mystery guest.
3: See if you can recognize this voice. Hello, Peter. I present you a report from the bunker Day 141. I racked my brain trying to come up with a profound statement about theater and the state of the world, but I am sure someone much smarter than I has already said whatever I was going to say more eloquently than I ever could. So I'm going to share with you a list of all of the great movies and television I have watched during this time, because let's be honest, that's what I talk about 90% of the time anyways. So without further ado, here is a list of films, both new and old, I have consumed and recommend. The Florida Project. Climax, Trees Lounge, The Great Escape, Palm Springs, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, Tampopo, Come and See, 8th Grade, Standoff at Sparrow Creek, The Conversation, The Hidden Fortress, Brute Force, The Sweet Smell of Success, Defive Bloods, and the seminal Arnold Schwarzenegger classic, True Lies. On to television. Atlanta Fossey Verdon What We Do in the Shadows I May Destroy You Master of None Last Chance You The Sopranos for the fourth time Parks and Rec for the second time Zero, zero, zero And The Floor is Lava Don't Judge Me Okay, there are my lists Go forth and enjoy I hope to see you again one day in person Godspeed, man Godspeed (laughs)
0: Seriously? He watched The Sopranos four times? I mean, I saw it once and I loved it, but that was enough. I know we've got a lot of time on our hands, but I'm old. I just can't sit on my butt for all that time to watch all those shows. A great list, a great list of recommendations from that young man. Oh, I think I just gave you a hint. So let's just move on to Shirley Verico, the curator over there at the Buffalo Arts Studio. Well, as long as we're on the subject, tell us a little about the Buffalo Arts Studio, because I'll be honest with you and say say that I knew almost nothing about it. I had heard of it, but I know very little about it. And so give me a little blurb about it.
2: Sure. So the Buffalo Arts Studio is a not-for-profit arts center and we really have sort of a three-pronged mission um it began with the goal of providing safe and affordable studio space for artists so buffalo art studios was actually the first of three tenants when the tri-main building was rehabbed about 30 years ago i see the developers from canada they were from the toronto area and they took what they called an arts first approach they knew if you moved into an industrial building and tried to renovate it in what was perhaps seen as a highly distressed or even scary neighborhood if you brought the artists in it really changed the perception it changed the reality of the neighborhood but it also really changed the perception making it seem artistic and cool as opposed to maybe sketchy or scary
0: how interesting
2: they used this arts first approach and it was buffalo art studio just buffalo Liber- uh, literary center and hall
0: I see, okay.
2: Paul Wells and Just Literary, Just Buffalo Literary, has long since moved out and moved into other facilities, but we're still there. And as I said, so it was originally built out to provide safe and affordable studio space. And we have artists that work on site, and they're called our studio artists. They are juried in by their peers. They uh, receive a highly subsidized, they do pay rent, but it's deeply subsidized. And they are expected to participate in the community. So there is a, a service component on theirs. side so that's one aspect the second is we have gallery spaces so we provide exposure for artists and access for the community we're very community driven Um, you'll hear the word community over and over for us so we are very mindful about the exhibitions that we bring into the space and we really Um, for the last several years have honed our curatorial vision on the idea of justice, the ways in which art can affect change and bring about social, economic, environmental, and representational justice, which as you can imagine in this moment in time is making our work very, very relevant. Mm. So that's the heart of our exhibition goals. And because we are in a large industrial space and have access to things like freight elevators and manufacturing equipment we can bring in large-scale installations in a way that a lot of other institutions can't so we can mm-hmm. we do focus on new work we are not a collecting institution it's new work by emerging and mid-career artists and we do have shows that are traditional paintings this one of the exhibitions we have right now but we do have this wonderful ability to have full-scale installations. so that's something we do work on as i mentioned our sound is bad we don't do very much video it's <laughs> really hard for us because the sound is just so bad sure and then our third aspect is our education program, and we have arts education for adults and youth, and the uh, adult programs are painting, ceramics, they they vary from the hobbyist to someone who really wants to master a skill, and then our youth programming includes a, an incredibly important program called Jumpstart, and we work with um, middle school and high school students that have a real interest in the arts, and we... We have a cohort of about 40 kids each year that doesn't mean all 40 of them are taking every class maybe they've got soccer this season or they're traveling for school but we build the curriculum in response to the cohort of kids we have a couple years ago we had a group of kids who were really interested in animation and so we did an animation uh symposium They get professional development. We go and take them um, to other arts careers because many, many kids don't have any idea. They know you can be a starving artist or an art teacher. They don't know of any other careers. And what makes the Jumpstart program, I think, unique and incredibly special are two aspects. If a child qualifies for free or reduced lunch, they go on scholarship. They don't pay for our classes. And... Um, We have about half city students and about half suburban students, and since we began tracking the data in 2006, we have had 100% on-time high school graduation from all of our Jumpstart students. Oh,
0: that's wonderful. That is just wonderful. Which is,
2: as you know, far outside of what is the the district norm.
0: Oh, yes. And it's
2: really, it's, you know, we talk about, again, this idea of community. We know these kids. Our education director... We just had a, a workshop last week with Yosef uh, Bayous a wonderful artist and she was texting them and reminding them we do things like provide lunch we know that they're teenagers they might bring a bag of chips we, we provide a healthy lunch we help them apply to college we help them write that application essay we set up google drives for them so they have a place to put the photographs of their work it's very much uh, really nothing at BAS is transactional it's all about relationships and that's how we do what we do so that's our three main components we have safe and affordable studio space accessible and dynamic exhibitions and then a meaningful education program
0: well, I have to ask you, first of all, the, the students who come in, do you go into the schools first, sort of recruit, as in, uh, well, o- other people I've spoken to, do you go into the classroom or do you get recommendations from the schools about students who are interested in art or an art career or an art major or whatever, and then they come to you?
2: It's a little bit of everything. So we are a small staff, like many organizations did reduce our staff um, in light of COVID, Sure. Uh, so we have a part-time education director. I'm a part-time curator and a full-time uh, education director. So no, we can't go into every school. There's no way. Right. We do have a strong relationship with the School for the Visual and Performing Arts, as you might imagine. Sure, sure. But it's not limited to, there's no portfolio application, It's but it is about an interest. We're not simply a drop-in program. There's a commitment that's expected. And these students have a, a varying ability when they come in yes but it's really about their interest and not all of our students go on to art careers but i think what they find in our program is a community i know like i said you know as somebody that went to school for the arts in high school if i my high school hadn't had an art room or a theater i don't know what i would have done those were my people those were my friends those are still my friends and i think when we eliminate these kinds of programs from schools we forget What that community is for some students. So that's part of it. Our kids come in and they find their network. One of the other things we do that I think is incredibly important is we help students apply to something called NISA, New York State Summer School for the Arts. Mm -hmm. And it's out of Fredonia and it's a month and it is really a taste of college. And if you have students who are first generation, who don't have family that have gone to college before, or who have not gone away to college in any way, it makes the experience suddenly real for them. So, the application process for NISA is very similar, albeit much shorter, as a college application process. So, we have had 80 and 90 percent application acceptance to NISA, when statewide it's about 30. Wow. And again, we help locate money. There is tuition, those that can pay, pay. But we do have several funders that we go to pretty regularly to help underwrite those students that can't really afford it and maybe really, really need it, have never been out of their neighborhood or their city, Mm -hmm. don't know what it is to go and dorm. You know, they don't they don't have experience with these ideas. And so that's a huge part of what we do at Buffalo Art Studios.
0: Well, Shirley, do you do would you sometimes have uh, an inquiry from a teacher from, oh, I don't know, Park South Park High School or something, and they'll say they recommend somebody to you, something like that? Absolutely. There has to be a way,
2: yeah, we have a lot, of, you know, it's it's like any community. We have our teachers. A lot, you know, I would say there's a percentage, I, I couldn't even begin to guess what it is, of art teachers in Western New York that were at one time a studio artist at Buffalo Arts Studios. Ah. They, they really do know us. They know our programs. They participate. They bring their students for field trips. Not everybody. It's always amazing to me that there are people in the arts community that don't know about us. We aren't because we're not a storefront.
0: Yes. We're up
2: on the fifth floor of the tri Building. Right. I do think that is part of it. But no, we have a lot of, you know, we get calls pretty regularly. Um, Social media has been wonderful for Buffalo Art Studios. If someone were, were really interested after hearing this, they could go to our Facebook page and there is a Jumpstart Facebook page. We have done some Facebook Live events as a result of COVID where we haven't been able to have big receptions and one of them that we did in um, June was a a sort of a mini jumpstart experience because we weren't able to have a big exhibition which we normally would have uh, in May and June of 2020. So that video, and I'm giving the tour and I'm talking to the students. The sound is not great. We are getting microphones, but it gives a really good idea about the kind of work the students are doing. Mm -hmm. We interviewed students at various points along the Jumpstart experience, because we do stay in touch with them when they go to college, especially those kids who, again, are first generation. They need that mentorship and support because they don't know who else to ask. This summer, two of my, I had two gallery interns. And they had both come from, they were former Jumpstart students. One was at Pratt and one's at FIT. They were home this summer and they interned with us. So that it's an, it's ongoing. There isn't, like I said, it's not transactional.
0: And did you have to cancel? I assume all of your classes are normally held in the Tri-Main building. In your space. Did you have to cancel all of those during the quarantine? Or or did you immediately switch to online, you know, Zoom meetings and so on? Or I should have gotten to this earlier, but i just so fascinated with everything you do. But it's amazing to me that people have had adapted so quickly to the online format. Did you, in fact, do the same thing? We sure did. For the classes, for the education? Yeah.
2: Yeah, we did. So one of the things I tell all of my interns is that what you will learn working in an arts organization particularly a not-for-profit chronically underfunded as we all are sure, of course is a flexibility of thinking you are problem solving all the time and we applied that approach when COVID occurred i don't know um, if you spoke with our executive director we um had been planning for six months an enormous fundraiser on the fifth floor of Trimane. We had had yes. 669 artworks donated to be sold for $25. We had 12 bands booked. We had food vendors. We had wine and beer. We had installed this 700-piece exhibition. Uh, we had converted one of our galleries into a performance space, an empty suite into a performance space. Wow. And 48 hours before the event, we canceled it because it was oh, supposed to happen on March 15th.
0: How heartbreaking.
2: So, you know, we regrouped, everybody went home, um, and we pivoted, and that's what we know how to do, I think, again, from the arts organization. So we moved several things online. The first thing we did was um, reach out to our community. And for the students, Jane Hughes, our education director, um, surveyed them. and you know tried to get a temperature where were they all how did they feel and they you know many of them were feeling very isolated they're high school students now they're home right and so we reached out to one of our very dynamic young um, social media savvy and tech savvy
0: teachers, (laughs)
2: Julia Bottoms
0: always good to have somebody like that around
2: Uh, and she very quickly put together a brief set of hands-on activities. And the students didn't use Zoom. They used like a Google Classroom, a a different provider. But, um, and our education director ordered the supplies and she's, you know, packaged them up and hand delivered them all over Western New York. And within a couple weeks they were, and it was, they wanted- That was my
0: next question. How did they get all of the supplies? They were hand delivered by- By our education person. That's amazing. And- wonderful
2: you know, we, we pivoted and one of the things we found that was really important is it was not asynchronous. It was at the, it was synchronous. They wanted the experience in real time. Mm. So, um, again, if you were to go to, either, go to our Facebook or go to our, even YouTube, you can see the first couple, we didn't have the technology up and running to record them. But after, I think it was the, by the fourth one, we were able to record the, um, students, we had to get the releases from all the kids and stuff. So it took of that did take a couple weeks but they are available on YouTube, and and it became something they really looked forward to, and um, and and that only just ended in part because the instructor, it was extended, the kids loved it, they kept going. She had a large public art commission. We also, last week, had students back in the gallery. Buffalo Art Studios was awarded a um, National Endowment for the Arts grant, and it included, um, we're doing several installations at Silo City with artists that work with reclaimed materials and with the idea of of not having a negative environmental impact and sustainability. So Josef Bayus, who's one of those artists, conducted a week-long workshop with 10 students who came on site and went through the building and took materials that would have been thrown away. And from that, they created a number of sculptures. And those installations are still up in the gallery studios. We have 22,000 square feet Yes. So social distancing is not difficult for us. We were able to spread the kids out, no problem. Great. What that would look like in the fall in our classroom spaces, that's what we're still trying to figure out. Mm -hmm. So Jane is, again, our education person, is surveying our community of teachers and students and to ask, what are you comfortable with? What would you like to see? Would a hybrid be helpful? Yes. And we, we can be flexible. We can move between multiple classrooms, or we can go back into one of the large, what we call our community space, which is where we have receptions, et cetera, and put classes out there. Maybe the sound isn't perfect, but you can socially distance. So that's really where we are. I think like many organizations and even schools, you know, we aren't. every school district is still planning. You know, we're waiting to see where the numbers are. What sure. are the restrictions? What can we do safely? And responding in real
0: time. Has it been just you and Jane? I know you're the you're the curator, and Jane, yeah. and then Alma, of course, have mm-hmm. just been the three of you been brainstorming and doing all this since March twelfth or whatever it's been. We- or do you have a larger staff that that is maybe, maybe a volunteer uh, grouping or so on? Are there others there, or is it just the three of you? working out all of these plans
2: so we were staff of four until july one ish started our new fiscal year Mm -hmm. and as i said that was we felt that it was best to be proactive at that time so we have 32 artists who make their artwork on site they have
0: and they're all and they're all buffalo artists correct
2: they're all western new york artists correct so our first commitment we knew that many of them were losing their main income sure so yes we have some retired folks and that was a little bit different for them but you know we have a number of servers and bartenders and we have substitute teachers and we have you know so we knew that it was in some ways a perfect storm for us we had also we knew our rent was going to go up cuz taxes were going up yeah. so our first commitment was to not raise our studio rental to the to the artists and in fact our our board so we do have a board of directors voted to allocate funds to subsidize further for those artists in need so we then put aside a, a bigger pool of money to help those artists that were really losing a lot of our, our um artists are also adjunct professors yes. and most of the colleges locally cut all of their adjuncts. Mm-hmm. So we put some funding aside to hopefully not lose any artists and to be able to, you know, subsidize further. But At the core, we are a small staff, but we do have these networks. We have a wonderful board of directors. When we were reimagining our fundraiser, we had a committee, and that included artists from our studio artists. That included board members and some community members that we call in. We have a party planner who helps us out, and we have a musician, a music booker who help, help us out. So we were able to go to that larger network. We do usually have some interns and volunteers and then the artists. We also have, again, because we're so relationship and community oriented, a wonderful network of resources. When we have a question, we can get really good advice. Mm-hmm. We know who to go to and we, we try and be equally generous in return. If people need information, um, we joke, you know, that Buffalo is a town where everybody knows a guy.
0: <laughs> and, I got a guy. I know a guy.
2: I got a guy. Everybody's got a guy. Yeah, Everybody's got a guy. And you know and more than half the time the guy is a woman, but you know we have to be mindful of that, but that's part of it is that knowing where to go to get really good advice to do it efficiently and to make good choices early on and then for us it's really about doing the work we have a, a deep and shared set of values and a deep belief that the work that we're doing is important. If we didn't believe that the arts could affect change, we wouldn't work this hard, and that's the core. It isn't just that we believe that the arts are important right now because people need something to fill their soul, which I believe that is it, too. I think that's hugely important. But I do think when we look throughout our history, both as human beings, I'm an art historian. Yes. And uh, even as Americans and 20th century, that after times of great conflict and great divide, it is so often the arts that bring us back together, remind us of our connections and our humanity. I oftentimes point to the the Vietnam Veterans War Memorial in Washington, D.C. You know, that was really, you know, it was a very, very difficult experience to get that Mm -hmm. made. And some of the worst parts of our cultural dialogue came out in the production of that artwork. But no one leaves that space
0: unchanged. Yes.
2: And I think when you see that kind of power and its film and its music and its theater and its visual arts, Art has the power to affect change, and we are certainly at a moment where we need to be thinking about how do we change for the better? How do we find our humanity? How do we, how do we move forward from this, this divide in our, in our time? And, and, you know, and, of course, the obvious connection when I think about the pandemic is I go back to the Renaissance coming after the plague. When you go back to your initial question, it is three of us in theory – but it is a hundred of us and a thousand of us and a million
0: of us. You have a network of friends and associates and fans, I, I'm sure. Uh, and, and probably exactly alumnus, you know, who, who have a great interest in it. Can you talk briefly about, or as long as you want, actually, because <laughs> I'm fascinated by the justice in the arts program mm-hmm. and uh, and I, you've sort of alluded to it a little bit, but I'd like to get a little bit more specific about it if you can.
2: Sure. So well so for the national endowment on the arts you apply in july to get funding almost a year later so that just to give you some sense so about three and a half years ago three Mm -hmm. years ago we were working incredibly hard and we were really trying to decide so you know alma became the executive director just over six years ago um she hired me and we were working and we were really reorganizing as an organization, deciding who we were as an institution. And we did a lot of reflecting and Jane as well, and the fourth staff member and that has changed over time. And we were really sitting down and getting ready to take, we had written one application to the NEA and it had been rejected. And one of the things that they felt was missing was a really focused curatorial vision. And we decided, okay, so what is it that we're, why are we doing this? Why are we working so hard? And we came back over and over again to this belief that art can affect change. Mm -hmm. And so if we think that, well, what is it that we want to see? And we found ourselves, the words that we kept coming back to were justice. And we looked and we saw that there were artists making artwork. And we came back to these ideas about economic justice, environmental justice, social justice. And then I think something that we're really seeing at this moment in time, and was a relatively new term, is representational justice. Um, I think that for a long time we've talked about as a, as a society about you know, not perpetuating stereotypes, but recognizing that the pursuit of justice is more active than simply avoiding making a mistake. <laughs> yes. And so we, we really took this idea and, and dove deeply into it and so for the first session, we looked to an artist uh, who was working with environmental justice, a professor at the university. His work was really rooted in the idea of trees and the forest and the tree is uh, in some degree a metaphor for, for humanity and reminding us to be connected and to m- reminding us to see ourselves in nature and to preserve nature. and. That exhibition um, was complemented, and this is some of what we do with, with panel discussions. So we'll have an exhibition, obviously an artist, but then we'll have a conversation with people maybe from different fields. So we'll have an environmental activist. We had Josh Smith from Silo City, who is the ecological director there, working to reclaim the and repair the damage of the industrial space. We also had India Walton, who is from the Fruit Belt Community Trust, to talk about so often when we think about environmental justice, we think about the rural, or we think about the, the wild or the forest. And she was really speaking to how frontline communities bear the biggest brunt of industrial pollution. And we can talk about you know Flint and water um, here in Buffalo Coke. So it becomes a conversation, not just about art, but about the justice issues embedded in the exhibition that we're having, but that are far broader. And it's a way to bring in community members who maybe aren't looking to necessarily go see an exhibition with a giant tree, but they are interested in, in environmental justice, and then they see how that can be realized in the art form as well. And we did that with four consecutive exhibitions. We included um, an artist, Stacy Robinson, who's an Afrofuturist, and his artwork is a very much rooted in, in representational justice. If we don't show heroic people of color into the future, it is difficult to imagine a future you don't see. And so he makes that future visible. And he worked with a group of young people last summer, and they produced uh, superheroes and comic books. And that was, that was part of the program. We also had uh, Phyllis Thompson, who is an artist who's dealing with social and representational justice. And her work reimagines a history that has been largely erased through slavery and Northern migration and Jim Crow laws. So she is imagining a, a deep connection with her Southern past, some of which is based or she's sort of woven together from the bits that she has from her ancestry, but with, she has had to fill in the blanks because there wasn't a system or a, a way to maintain through that period of Northern migration those those historical narratives.
0: So all of this began began two years ago, or was it three, three, three years, years ago? Three years ago. It began three yeah. years ago, so it really... Even though it certainly has a, a, there's a Black Lives Matter awareness, of course, and the the George Floyd and so on. All of this began before that, and it's not to be focused just on uh, Black Lives Matter sort of uh, justice for African Americans. This is justice for a variety of different causes. Am Am I reading this right? Am I understanding you?
2: Right, because justice isn't, you know, I think what we have, when we recognize injustice, then we have to work towards justice. Mm -hmm. And it isn't happening in only one aspect of our community. I think the recognition, there's an intersectionality, right? That um, the same kind of economic, I think what's important is recognizing the intersectionality of all of these justices, because it is in fact in the poorest communities, which oftentimes are the brownest communities, where there is the most pollution, where there have been policies such as redlining that have kept the economic opportunities out of those communities. So these are a a multitude of issues. But what we do recognize, and I think that's part of what's happening at this moment, is how often the greatest injustices are concentrated and overlapping in the same communities. And they are often the poorest communities, the brownest communities, the, the communities that are... Um, least able to advocate for themselves because of their immigrant communities or they're they're bound by language or or work and we're seeing that with COVID right it's these same communities that are because they are denied justice they are the most dramatically impacted.
0: They're the ones least able to fight back, the ones least able to argue against pollution or or the lack of medical coverage, the ones least able to fend for themselves.
2: Right, and if you don't recognize that the environmental racism that has led to the polluting of communities has also led to the high rates of asthma. Mm -hmm. So it is not, you know, if we aren't connecting these dots, then it is very easy to say, well, we don't know why COVID is worse in communities of color, well, people in communities of color tend to be poor and they tend to be sicker because their communities tend to be more polluted. There is really an intersection of all of these these injustices to bring about. When we have something like this pandemic, there is a reason it's hitting the communities it's hitting hardest. I mean, we, we're looking to open schools. So many of our schools, we know this Love Canal. We know our schools are built very often on land that wasn't entirely usable right because it was deeply polluted so we're going to see that these injustices as i said they they overlap and i don't want to discourage anyone from coming to seeing the exhibitions these are um i think really inspired and moving exhibitions it's not all like documentary photography um if you were to go and look at our website you would see that the images um, uh, Reinhardt's exhibition was very dynamic, mm-hmm. Stacy's exhibition. Right now we're getting ready for our cycle of justice in the arts for, for 2020. We are, as I said, three amazing installations that are going in at silo city. In each case, they reuse the stuff, the detritus, the junk that was left around when the industrial site was abandoned. And they are reimagining these things as beautiful and inspiring. And so that's part of it too. I don't want it to make it sound as though, um, You know, we're not the news media. We're not trying to make everybody depressed. (laughs) Um, Oftentimes, this work is deeply inspiring and it shows a a possibility and a way forward. And I guess that's where I come back to artifacting change. That's the change I want to see. I want to see us move past this to to find ways as a nation to recognize the value of justice for all. Again, that phrase that we say but seem to struggle to
0: actualize. Right. And you just alluded to it. You're When we refer to artists and, and when you re- refer to the Buffalo Art Studio, you're not talking strictly about uh, painters. Oh, no way. The video artists, mm-hmm. I, I assume sculpture. Yeah,
2: absolutely.
0: Working with found material, as you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, just very quickly, because I meant to ask you about this. When you say you have a, a affordable studio space, mm-hmm. you have... A variety of rooms available different size rooms that you rent out to struggling artists is that what that's all about
2: essentially they're not necessarily struggling some of them are are quite successful (laughs) um so those spaces are yes there's 32 there's 32 artists at the moment and there's Mm -hmm. some flexibility in that number like right now we have an artist who's actually Uh, in two adjacent spaces so that number the physical space doesn't change very much the number might change slightly depending on the circumstance
0: and do they occupy the space almost exclusively or is it a shared space so if a particular artist goes in and as you said in this particular case someone who's in two adjacent spaces that's her or his space all of his stuff is there and they come in well as regularly as they want to i guess but that's where they create and that is their space for creation
2: correct so what we have are we have a suite uh, a ceramic suite with a kill room and then a um a, a chemicals room that you know and then a classroom so we have eight artists that work in ceramics and their spaces so we also have a combination of locked private studios and then open studios and if you were to come to buffalo art studios on a regular day uh, you would see some of the doors are closed, but if you walk back behind the galleries, that's the bulk of our studios in that space are open. Mm-hmm. And I tell everybody, you know, you're welcome to go in there. Many of them have cards. The artists are coming back. I think it wasn't just COVID. It's also we don't have air conditioning, so July is fairly unbearable up there. <laughs> but on any given day, there might be two artists, there might be 20. You just you don't really know. When we're gonna have an an event, when we were able to have Fourth Fridays, which was funded by MNC Bank. Very often twenty or twenty five of the artists would be in their studio that evening, so you could come in, you could tour their studio, and you could talk to them mm. If you go to our web page, you will see under um, studio artists, each one has its own uh, little blurb about the artist, links to their social media, links to their websites, etc, and it's not a short term uh, like rental, as I say we're, it's more like an interview for a roommate than for uh, a an apartment. Many of our artists have been with us 20 years, mm-hmm. but we always have some some level of turnover. Uh, we just had a young design team. Um, they were married. They bought a house. They moved into their, their studio, into their house. We also have as part of our Justice in the Arts program, a residency. So we have an artist that will have a studio for six months, and she's going to be producing the work for her exhibition in our site. So she's She's there for a shorter term. But when we have studios available, we will promote it. On our webpage, there is a place to apply for a studio space. And I tell artists that are interested, they should submit an application. And then what I do is, I never know when one's going to come up. People leave for different reasons. Sometimes we'll go three years with no movement, and then four artists... Two will decide they're going to go to graduate school, one's moving into their home, Hmm. one's moving to California. We just never know.
0: You suddenly have space available that you didn't have the day before. Exactly,
2: and that's when we send it out. So I can't predict when space will be available, but I do reach out. There is an application process. We really want to see that they're working artists, not just a part-time hobbyist. We want to see a commitment to their process. That they that they're able to articulate that we want somebody at a certain point in their career. They could be emerging, they could be a young artist, but we want to know what they're making, why they're making it, where they see themselves going, and then it really goes to the community. We'll put together a panel of the artists that are currently there, and they'll interview, they'll interview the potential artists, and you know ask them how do they why do they want to be a part of our community, what do they have to contribute, what do they think they can get out of our community, and we looked to reflect our our larger county and region, we could have 32 retired art teachers, Mm -hmm. but that's not what we want, right? They'd be wonderful, they'd clean up after themselves, they'd pay the rent (laughs) on time, but that's not the goal. We wanna have young artists, we wanna have older artists, we wanna have a diversity of mediums, we wanna have a diversity of experiences, we wanna make certain, as I said, that we're reflective and inclusive of the larger community. So that's something that that is part of the consideration. So it's not just a set of ticking a box, it's, it's a really deep felt conversation
0: they become part of a community and it's you're almost interviewing to be part of the family
2: absolutely and we've had we've had to ask artists who were not able to fulfill that commitment to leave and Mm -hmm. that's fine too you know it's no no you know sometimes um artists are having so much success personally and professionally they can't get to the studios i see in which case it's time we need people that can be there like you said we're a small staff we need people that, that can help us that can help us get ready for an event, can take out the garbage, <laughs> that can give up, you know, pre-COVID, we... Who
0: can contribute.
2: Yeah. We would have over a thousand people through every month. So if I had several tours scheduled, I would send out emails and ask who could be, could I get three or four artists to be in their studios to talk to the students or to talk to the, the tour group that was coming through? Um, and we need people that can, that can be parts of that or it doesn't work. If it becomes a storage space or retail space.
0: That's not your intention. It's
2: not our intention. So yeah, those are the things that we're looking for in our studio artists. And, um, you know, and I tell people, you know, we're not an artist zoo. I can't guarantee, (laughs)
0: uh,
2: you know, that everybody will be on display. It's not quite the same that way, but it is wonderful. And it's wonderful to be able to experience We'll have, we'll have school, school tours that come from one of the major museums where they've seen all the masterpieces. And we'd love to talk about, you know, making art is messy, as you can tell from the studios, but also you make mistakes and you fail. Look at why isn't this one as is, is successful? Look at the process. Look at how many times the artist tries this before they get it right. It isn't this fully formed masterpiece that comes out. <laughs> it's a process. And I think it's really important Uh, especially for young people to see how much work goes into the process and to be reminded that the product is the end of this really long experience.
0: I see that you you have reopened fully now. uh, You're closed Sundays and Mondays, but are there any other restrictions that are going on right now in the In the tri-main building for example is there any anything there that any rules that have been put in place there that have affected you in getting people to come up and see the various displays and so on are there any any covid rules that we should be aware of
2: people have to wear a mask Mm -hmm. that's really um and we are asking people to sign in for contact tracing Ah. we are having a steady stream of visitors again we have a wonderful exhibition up by an artist named Adris Wajad you know, he is also a social media dynamic personality. He actually, each painting, he puts a song on loop that has a meaning to him. And he listens to it over and over and over again and paints that painting in response to that song. Mm. And I think on our website, I have maybe eight or 10. Once COVID started and we realized he wasn't going to be able to have the big party and have everybody see his work, he started. Creating these paintings, and what he had was like a Facebook happy hour live event. So, we've been able to on our website link about a dozen of the paintings to the video of him making the painting.
0: Oh, how interesting.
2: So, it's really interesting. And, um, you know, so as, as I said, we've had maybe 10 or 12, probably more than that, small groups of folks come through at a time. And again, we're 20,000 square feet. It's easy to
0: social distance.
2: Social distance is not a problem for us. So, people are really enjoying it. Some of what we haven't been able to do, which which is part of what I think is a part of our our community, our big parties. We always have big receptions, and Mm. we keep joking like this, not hugging people is killing us in the (laughs) arts. So we've had a steady stream of folks. We haven't had the big event.
0: The big events. So
2: I would absolutely encourage people. We aren't sure what we're going to do about Saturday hours yet. Normally in the fall, we return to Saturday hours that's relying a little bit on the building. The building has reduced its hours because it has to have somebody in the lobby to make sure people are wearing masks. So that is one of the places where decisions that are being made-
0: For the building itself, are going to affect you.
2: Yes, are impacting us. Also, they used to have, um, the building would be open later in the evening. So they've reduced their hours. What that's gonna look like in September, we're still sort of waiting, waiting to find out we may Reopen with a really with a shorter Saturday. We're not sure. We're rating on, on everything else. But the galleries are open. The exhibition is just stunning. Again, Idris Wajed, people should go to our website, www.buffaloartstudios.org. We're a not-for-profit. Mm-hmm. They can go to our Facebook event. For one of the things I know you had asked too was how are we pivoting? With our fundraiser that was canceled at the 11th hour, we moved it all online and into an auction using an app called ClickBid. Mm-hmm. And when you subscribe to this ClickBid service, you get four events in a calendar year. So we are going to make advantage of that. So we moved Adreesa's exhibition is also viewable as well as per- purchase purchasable through ClickBid. Interesting. That link is also on our website, also on our social media, because we also know that there are people who don't feel like they can go out yet, who can't go in don't want to go into a building even though it's it's as safe and clean as it could be you know an elevator is still not they're not comfortable so there are lots of ways to experience the current exhibition virtually whether it's through Facebook whether it's through our website or whether it's through the ClickBit.
0: and generally speaking the exhibitions are free Mm-hmm. But do you, do you take donations there or people?
2: Hey, we'll always <laughs> take a donation. I mean, I don't know how many not-for-profits you've talked to that aren't going to take a donation. I guess that was a mistake, a
0: stupid question.
2: No, <laughs> <laughs> well, we're happy because we are, I mean, you know, donations are important right now. If you, if people are listening and they've heard something that they, they think they want to support, it's a really important time because, as I'm sure many of the organizations you've spoken to, I've gotten sort of tired of the phrase in these uncertain times, Mm -hmm. but you know, that's where we all are. And so small donations add up, everything adds up, you know, we lost on some income generating opportunities.
0: And there are places to donate on your website, I've noticed.
2: Oh, of course, (laughs) we want to make it as easy as possible for people to give us money. So yes, the galleries are free and open to the public, we are accessible. If you are in a wheelchair, we're accessible. But yes, always we, you know, we need the support. And I think as people are looking inward at this time to think about when we move past this, what do we want to make sure is still intact? And the cultural's, you know, this is this is a difficult time. Yes. We have to think about. And I think small to mid-sized organizations are especially vulnerable. Um, big institutions have endowments; they're in a slightly different position. So. Um, I would encourage everybody, whether it's Neglia Ballet or it's Buffalo Art Studios or or it's a string group that you really like, to maybe try and set aside some funding, mm-hmm. even if it's $10, that you can make a donation maybe that you wouldn't normally. Since you're not going to the movies, you're not maybe going um, to as many restaurants, just to think about, can you take that, that small bit of money to make sure that when we move through COVID and we're back out, that these really important faces in this community can endure because that's, I think, going to be the next the next year. is going to be difficult for a lot of the culturals.
0: And that was part of the goal of putting the this podcast together in, in, the, in the new format, inviting all of these different cultural organizations. And I've learned so much about how incredibly important all of these different smaller organizations are, the work that they do around town, especially with children. I'm always surprised to hear how significant their contribution is to children's education and to the awakening of the arts, because if we don't do that in our in our children, you know guys like I myself are going to be gone. Uh, those of us who appreciate the arts, we're going to be gone. We have to keep keep the younger generation coming.
2: I think in all of these organizations, um, my daughter is now in college to be a dancer. And one of the things I talked about, even when she was a, a child, you know, a small percentage of any of the, the young people we work with are going to become professional artists, dancers, actors.
0: Small percentage, yes. But
2: let's hope that 100% become advocates and audience members and admirers and participants. And so one, another program, which I haven't talked about yet, which I think is uh, unique to Buffalo Arts Studios, um, we developed a program, again, about three years ago, and it came out of that same mindset. And it's called the ELP, Expanding the Leadership Pipeline. We were looking around at, again, these issues of justice. And one of the things that we saw regarding especially representational justice is that in the arts, diversity is almost non-existent in managerial positions. Mm. And there are studies that show anywhere between 90 and 98% of art administrators, particularly at the upper levels, are white men. Yes. And there is very little representation of people of color. You see women in the lowest paying, small organizations, uh, and you still see very few people of color. So we began a program called the Expanding the Leadership Pipeline. And one of the things that we saw as a barrier were internships that were unpaid and we do it. I mean, we, I barely get paid, so we have to have unpaid interns. But that was a barrier for students that might have tremendous talent and interest, but were coming from lower income households. So we have, with our Expanding the Leadership Pipeline program, been able to identify every year what we're calling an ELP fellow. And we have been able to provide a stipend, is either a teaching assistant or gallery assistant in some capacity, pay, and in each case, the the last few years, they've all been young men of color, to work with professional artists, to work alongside me, to learn about in each case, they had a different aspect they were interested in.
0: But they're learning about the business of art.
2: And they're learning, and they're learning, yes, and they're getting paid. Mm. They're getting paid to intern because if they, they can't just do a free intern, you know, many of these organizations will have people interning for a year for an unpaid internship. Well, yes. that's not reasonable if you don't come from a middle class or upper middle class home. Right. So that's part of this expanding the leadership pipeline. It's a lot of mentorship, a lot of personal guidance. And we're hoping to expand that so that we can have an ELP fellow. I don't know if I want to say on staff sounds too strong, but somebody being paid through this ELP program, there would be a fall semester, a spring semester, and a summer semester, essentially. And that's something we're working towards as well. And that's a a, a workforce development. But again, it's a lot of relationship building. We have a young man that was just a teaching assistant. He's going to help us through the fall. And he's a wonderful, wonderful teacher. And we're putting him in contact with the Buff State Art Ed, and we would like to see if we could help get that funded for him. That's how you change the face of any industry. Yes, You have to find the talented young people and then help remove the barriers that keep them from realizing their potential and, and becoming active parts and meaningful parts of our community, because we need everybody.
0: I'm so glad you brought it up because I'm embarrassed to say I did not <laughs> find that in doing my research in preparation for today. I didn't know anything about that. But I think that's a great place to end it. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. really a pleasure. I, I've been learning so much on this podcast, and I really appreciate you spending the time to talk to me today, Shirley. Terrific. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great day.
2: Thank you. Thank you. And come and visit us in person. It really is safe. I will. And I think you're going to be shut. We can talk and talk and talk, I think, until people walk the 20,000 square feet. Yes. They don't really appreciate the scope of what the organization is, not just in its programming, but in its physicality. So it's really, come and visit it. You'll you're still have your mind blown.
0: I will do that. Thank you so much, Shirley. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yes, I think it's a pretty good choice. But let's face it, at this point, I'd vote for a pug-nose armadillo. Oh, never mind. So you see, here's the problem. I've interviewed all of these people and they are all fascinating. I want to go visit all of their places. The Buffalo Arts Studio sounds like a great place. What tremendous work they're doing there. And Mary Kate O'Connell, if I could just sit down and have a drink with her every night of the week, I would do it. And uh, did you figure out who the mystery guest was? It's a tough one, I know, because... This young man is a young man. He's been in so many shows around here. I, You know, he seems like he might be at least in his 50s or his 40s or, or even late 30s. It's not. He's been in so many shows because he's so damn good. And you see him everywhere.
3: And it's Adam Yellen. I present you a report from The Bunker, day 141.
0: Yes, that's Mr. Adam Yellen, and you've seen him in more shows than I could count.
3: Because let's be honest, that's what I talk about 90% of the time anyways.
0: Special thank you to my friend Adam Yellen for contributing to the Tales from the Bunker. So that's it for me. We'll be back again in two weeks with another edition of RLTP's Off-Road. But in the meantime, take care of yourselves, stay safe and sane, and we will all get through this sooner than later.